0: Welcome to Friends in Fiction, Five Best-Selling Authors, Endless Stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together. With chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, these friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Hello, everyone,
1: and welcome to Friends in Fiction, our weekly Facebook Live show featuring author chats in support of independent bookstores. Five best-selling authors, endless stories. Our community of readers here on Friends in Fiction has grown today to seventeen thousand members, Woo-hoo! and we welcome. could not be happier <laughs> to welcome you here tonight. So let's get started. We have so much to talk about tonight. I'm Patty Callahan-Henry, and I'm your host tonight, and my latest book is Becoming Mrs. Lewis.
0: And hi, I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my latest novel is On Ocean Boulevard.
2: And I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my latest novel is Hello Summer. I'm Kristen Harmel, and my latest novel is The Book of Lost Names.
3: I'm Christy Woodson-Harvey, and my latest book is Feels Like Falling.
1: And this is Friends in Fiction, and we are so happy that you're here. Tonight, as you can see, it's just the five of us, and it's not just because the five of us are the original posse who got together at the very beginning of the pandemic to start this show. And we're here tonight to talk to each other and answer some of the fascinating questions y'all sent in this week. And at the end of tonight's episode, Episode Mary Alice will be announcing our fall schedule, and y'all, you do not want to miss this. We had no idea what was going to become of this show, and wait till you hear about our guests. But before we get rolling, everyone, I want to remind you that every week we feature an independent bookseller, and this week we're working with one of my very favorites, Page and Palette in Fairhope, Alabama. This store has actually showed up in one of my novels coming up for air. And I disguised the town and the bookstore with a different name. But anyone who has been to Fairhope or anyone who has been to Page and Palette will know that that's Mm -hmm. who it is. This store is an anchor in this beautiful waterfront city. And it is a bookstore that is family owned for generations. As their logo states, there's a story here and they don't just mean the books. (laughs) They've built a welcoming, wonderful environment for authors and readers, and some of my favorite events over the years have been at Page and Palette. Tonight, they will be giving us a 10% discount on all of our releases and new releases, and you can find them on the Friends and Fiction page under Announcements. And I'll repost it after we finish tonight. So here's my favorite part, ladies. We're going to be talking tonight. So I have some really great questions for everyone. And as everyone knows, a few of us have been doing writing sprints together in the morning, and we've been kind of lifting each other up during this really difficult time and encouraging each other as we write our books. And we come on this show, and we talk so much about our triumphs because there is nothing better than celebrating after a long slog of writing and publishing horrors. But our listeners and y'all out there don't always see the downturns and the hard parts. And it's not because we're hiding them, but because we celebrate the good stuff. So there is a fantastic essay by one of my favorite writers who is passed on, Nora Ephron. And it's this essay about failure. And even the title is hilarious because she's hilarious. And it's called Flops. I have a few. This is the woman who wrote Sleepless in Seattle. She's has huge hits. You wouldn't think she had flops. And there's a quote in that essay that says, but that flop just sits there in the history of your life, like a black hole with a wildly powerful magnetic field. And she's being sarcastic and best, but true at worst. Because we can have a thousand wonderful things happen, but failure still sits there with a magnetic field. And there is no way to have a full literary career without failure and rejection. So I want to talk to each of you about that. Is there one moment of failure that almost derailed you from this writing career? Or one failure, insult, or negative comment that could have done, made you quit, but instead did the opposite and spurred you onward. For me, there were many, but for example, I was secretly writing about 20 years ago. And this is way before the internet, way before I knew that there were book clubs or book groups. I didn't know any writers. And I entered a contest for Writer's Digest and I got my score sheet back. And it told me that my writing was dull, dreary, dark, and depressing. I memorized it. I memorized it. And so I felt like there was an elevator in the middle of my gut that just plummeted. And I did quit for a little bit until I didn't. So I want to hear about those things for you, Mary Kay.
2: Well, you know, I um, was a journalism major in college and worked in newspapers, and I was a reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I had been um, working in the features department, but I wanted to go back to news. And so I went to the managing editor of the paper at the time, <coughs> and um, at first I'd gone to my features editor, and he said, no, no, you can't, you know, you can't move. And so I, I said, okay, I'm going to go to your boss. So I went to his boss. <laughs> And he looked at me and he said, "Um, you don't understand. We need real writers in news. You are not a real writer. You have no discernible style. You need to... Oh, my God. Ouch. He said, you need to um, just understand that you are... um, as a reporter, you're, you're, you're mediocre and you'll never, never be a writer. And so of course um, he had, he, he wanted to keep me in the department I was in, Uh, but um, I was devastated. I'm just devastated. I went, I went home in tears. I cried every day for weeks and I I went to the man who had hired me and said, um, and this guy was, he was sort of a mentor to me at the paper. And I told him what Eddie had said to me. And he said, that is not true. You're you are one, one of the best writers I've ever hired. You're, you have a great career ahead of you and don't listen to him. And so I decided, I, I wrote myself a little mantra that I would recite every day. They don't get to define me. They don't get to put their foot on my neck. And I, uh, I would, you know, that was, I would chant it uh, when I drove home every day. I would cry every day oh. when I drove home. You <laughs> happy. You paid your dues. Oh. Uh, you know, Damn. I couldn't. Oh, yeah. but, um, but the thing is, it, um, it spurred me. It made me understand that there was not going to be a place, I was not going to have the career I wanted in journalism. And
0: mm-hmm. I'd already
2: started thinking about um, trying to write fiction. And that, and that really kind of hastened my decision that it was time to go, um, that I was never going to get, you know, that, that, uh, other people were going to keep me from, from having the career I wanted. So I thought, okay, I'll reinvent myself. So that's what I did. I hope, I hope you're, you're sending, Eddie. I was going to say, so I, I hope, I, I hope
3: you're sending Eddie every, uh, every New York times bestseller you have. <laughs>
2: interesting people it's interesting Kristen people will tell me that whenever I tell that story and I tell it a lot um he doesn't have to know because I know
3: uh, you're absolutely right you're absolutely and, right. and you know what maybe he was meant to be there to put you on that the path that you're on right that's exactly right
2: yeah he did me a favor but at the yeah, time I, I feel like
1: we should we should take that quote you don't get to define me and make some stickies out of it and like
2: what well, makes me our-
0: it makes me think of that other quote don't let the turkeys get you down you know because he's obviously a turkey he was obviously protecting his own turf and he saw you he probably saw your talent and just and also you know women have had a particularly hard time in journalism yeah 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 Yeah. all right Kristen Harpel a good story yeah you know um
3: Mine is actually sort of similar, but it was um, it was during my novel writing career. So I started off writing Chiclet. Um, I, my first book came out in 2006. I had written it in 2003, 2004. It was very much the height of, you know, Bridget Jones's Diary and The Devil Wears Prada and, and those types of books. So it was that type of book. Um, and I had fun writing those, but I, it wasn't, I don't think it was where I belonged. I don't think it was ever where I belonged. I I think what I'm doing now is where I belong. And right around the time I turned um, 30, which was a little over a decade ago, um, I I think I I had just grown up to the point where I was able to say, like, this is where I want to go and I had the courage to say it. So I came up with the idea for The Sweetness of Forgetting, which ended up being my 2012 book. And I wrote a very full outline and uh, pitched it to my literary agent at the time. And um, she called and said, no, this is not a Kristen Harmel book. And I said, okay, okay, I understand. And, And, you know, she said it's not on brand. And I, you know... I, I have to really explain, like I had no brand because did any of you know I was writing chiclet? It, it was I was not it was I was not some huge best selling chiclet author, but still I understood what she was saying. And I said, Okay, you know, I'm okay with doing um a pseudonym. We can, you know, just start from scratch. We can I, but this is what I want to be doing. I don't see myself continuing to write chiclet. I want to write historical fiction. Um and she said, quite frankly, I just don't think you can. Um <gasps> and um no. Um, and she was a Christy. She was a, I wish everybody, I hope
1: everybody's looking at Christy's face. No, <laughs>
3: just. so fun.
1: Sorry.
3: yeah, it was um, so she was wow. she I, I I don't really have any negative feelings for her because because I, I, I she was a great agent. um but kind of like the story you just told Mary Kay, I needed that push. I, I needed that push because if she had just said, yeah, go ahead. Sure. We'll see what we can come up with and we'll try to sell it. Um, I I don't think I would have been as motivated. Um, but as it was, I had to make a decision. Do I keep doing what I'm doing or do I follow my heart? And I chose to follow my heart and and I left that agent, um, which was so unsettling. I mean, if you're in this business and you don't, and you're in the middle of your career and you don't have an agent, that's not a great thing. Um, but, um, but it worked out okay. That book, uh, before it came out even, um, had done better than all my previous six books combined. So I, I, Guess it turns out I could do it <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean I just feel like there's always that one comment like the dull dreary dark and depressing that makes you say am I going to believe it or am I going to prove them wrong yeah. and Mary Kay what you're not good enough or you can't do it um yeah. we either believe it or we say okay I'm going to do the double down and I'm going to prove you're wrong but it's Maybe hard. That's the biggest difference. I mean, yeah. It's hard.
3: when it's someone who's in a position of authority over you or someone yeah. whose who's taste yes. and opinion you really respect. It's not just Joe Schmo writing an Amazon comment or something. You know what I mean? Like it's yes. someone whose opinion right. you trust. That's so true. Yeah. yeah.
2: Fortunately, yeah. this editor, I knew he didn't know what he was talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Because for me, it was a judge. For you, it was an agent. For you, it was a boss. So, okay, Christy Woodson Harvey.
4: Um, You know, I don't even know that I was going to tell the story, but now that you told yours, and it was so great, and it reminded me of, like, you do remember those words. Um, I had signed with a literary agent um, who was representing me for a book that I wrote before Dear Carolina, which ended up being my debut novel, and I submitted Dear Carolina to two writing contests because they both had final round judges that were editors that I knew were people that I wanted to work with, but, you know, you had to be, like, one of the top 3 or whatever for the editor to read your manuscript. So it was kind of a long shot, but I thought I'll just keep opening doors while my agents over here working. And so I get my score sheet back. It's the first feedback I've ever gotten on Dear Carolina. And one of the judges, I'd written the book in second person, which as we all know, is like kind of a no-no, but it just it it worked for the story. And so she wrote this long thing telling me why I couldn't do it and said that the story was uncomfortably voyeuristic. I'll never forget it. What?
0: Yep. And I was I like, have to, oh, I have to think goodness. about that for a minute.
4: Right. I guess because you were like seeing into these two mothers telling the story to their child. I don't know. I, I don't know, but I was crushed and I thought, know I what sort of took this about. risk and I shouldn't have done this. And this was a terrible idea. And, like I've just wasted all this time writing this book and I thought it was so you know I thought it was going to be this really great book and so about two weeks later um the the sheets came back from the second contest that I had entered and I had won the contest and the final (laughs) round judge was an editor at Penguin and she bought the book (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) it's so
0: funny that's the best ending. (laughs) <laughs> one
4: person's uncomfortably
0: voyeuristic is another person's book deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that judge reminds me a little bit of a one star wonder on Amazon. Right? <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah. it was just, but you, but it is in that moment when you're so
4: you just you don't Mom, know. know. And I was definitely coming from a place of like I went to journalism school, but I also did a lot of creative writing. And I remember, like, I would look around the classroom and we would be you know reading our stuff, and I would be like, I'm just not like everybody else. Like I'm not writing, you know, they were all writing these like really dark, twisty stories. And I wasn't, you know, and I was, and I remember I would always think like, I can't be a writer because these people sound like real writers and I'm not like them. And, um, and so it was just like one more, it was just one more thing saying, oh, you're not a real writer. And then, I mean, it ended up okay, but we all have
0: those Uh, moments for sure. people just I don't know, some people really don't understand that a good critique doesn't mean find something to be critical about. A good critique is to find something that is good that you want to be encouraging. They are just they just can be really nasty. And I, I think some reviewers too out there just find a way of being particularly nasty. And it's like their calling card. And I just think, what a waste of air and space. You well, know? we all look
1: at... Um, the things we read through our own lens or mirror and to be cruel with whether it's an alliteration with all the D words you can think of (laughs) or calling something voyeuristic doesn't help anybody, right? Taking somebody else down a couple pegs doesn't help you or that person. And so, okay, Mary Alice, I want to hear your story. What is like the one thing that could have derailed you or the, one insult but you took it the opposite and
0: ran with it it's a little different than yours because I really you know while I've been listening to you I can identify with each of your stories there's a similar one for me but the one that really almost derailed me completely was nothing to do with anything people said it was my own health you know it was uh, I was hemorrhaging and I before that I had was in a writer's group and with friends, and people were getting published ahead of me. And I wasn't in any hurry. I mean, I wanted to cross the line, but I was a young mother at the time, sort of like y'all down in the lower corners there. And I, you know, I had time, but I also knew it was going to take time. So I finally wrote a book called The Long Road Home, which my family calls The Long Road to Publication. <laughs> And it was finally picked up, and it was supposed to be a big launch hardcover from, and I won't say the publisher's name, from a major publisher. And this was 1990, so it would have been really early in my career, really would have set me off for my first novel. And there was this huge upset, as sometimes happens, as all of you know, in publishing houses, where my editor was fired who is a big editor and big shakeup of the whole publishing house, I was not out, but I was on hold. Like I did, I, I was an orphan at the publishing house. So if that wasn't bad enough, I started, and maybe it was emotional. I don't know. I started to hemorrhage and truly sick, life-threatening, life-threatening. So it was, and my health has never been all that great. So this was one of the times that I got truly sick. and. I remember coming out of it after about six months thinking I I waited so long to cross the line to publication. You know, you just want to cross the line. And everyone would say to me things that I say to people like, you know, you're still a writer, whether you're published or not. And I knew that. But you want to cross the line. <laughs> you want to get published. So this was my big deal. And suddenly it just was on hold. So I remember thinking maybe this wasn't meant to be. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should go back to teaching. I love teaching and I should just do it. And I started applying for teaching jobs. And it was literally I had a, it was two weeks before I had to sign a contract and I was just hemming and hawing and waiting and we heard that the book was coming out in from hardcover to mass market <laughs> Horrible cover, but I was in the game. I was in the game. And so I it, it sold, it, it got published, and, you know, the rest is history. But I remember thinking at that time that there was something inside of me where I knew this was it. Yeah. This was what I wanted to do. It was my calling, and I saw it. I mean, you all know, you just saw I'm going to be a writer And it's just no matter how it happens or how long it takes, it's going to happen. But I think you get beaten down to a point or even health where you sometimes think either how many rejections can I take or how 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 many more years am I going to put into this effort? But that line that I wanted to cross the line, you know, you're a writer, whether you're published or not, I think I actually really understood it because I knew I was going to keep writing. If that book didn't get published, I was going to write another and another and another. Not just to get published, but because I couldn't stop. Because you were a writer. Because I was a writer.
1: Yeah, which, um, which is that whole being in the arena thing. So there's this fantastic quote. We've all heard it. Brene Brown has the book Daring Greatly. It's by Roosevelt. And he says, who at the best knows in the end The triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails by daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And so, ladies, we have been in the arena, man. We have done it. So how do you do it? How do you stay inspired? How do you stay in the arena? What keeps you creative? What keeps you going? Mary Kay, tell us.
2: You know, um, I think part of it is um, I write commercial fiction, and and we all write really write commercial fiction, I think. Um, And so I write a book a year, and this is my job. And I have to keep filling up the creative well. And so reading good books, watching television, getting out in the world. And, um, you know, it's a matter of habit for me. So someone will say something and I'll think, ah. I can use that in a book. I'll steal yeah. that. I mean, we're terrible thieves, writers are. We're horrible. Um, we're, we're just felons. Um, and we're liars too. We're liars,
4: yeah. I always say, like, especially when I'm meeting new people, I'm like, look, if you don't want it in a book, do don't not tell me. It. Because <laughs> I, you get to the point where you can't remember, like, did someone say that? Or is it just in your head? <laughs>
2: yeah. So I think, I think um, for me... It's, um, it's sort of uh, an ingrained now, an ingrained part of my habit of being. So, uh, you know, I'll be out and I'll see something and, and, uh, and what happens usually is I'll see something the way it happened. And then I'll think, well, what if it had happened this way? Hmm.
4: Yeah. You
2: know, what if, you know, what if she's backing out of the parking lot at church and she rear-ends the new minister. I don't know. Um, so, and I think oh, that You just the, started a new book. I know, right. I'm Like, hmm, when do I get yeah. to that one? <laughs> right there. I, I, you know, that, that's, that's the only thing I know. And, and, and being out in the world, and, and I'll tell you realistically, um, I'm ashamed to say it. Uh, it turns out I, I'm competitive. <laughs> and I can't stand the idea that I don't have a book coming out. And I want each book to be better. I want, to get, I want my writing to get better with every book. I've never, I've never been satisfied with a book after, I've, after it's come out. And so that's part of it, the, the, the elusive idea that, you know, if I keep going, maybe I'll get better. Maybe I'll be able to pull it off. That's
0: such a powerful statement because I think it's, it's very inspiring, too, that I haven't written my best book yet. It's still coming. That's so great.
1: I love it. And I don't think we could keep doing what we are doing if we didn't have a little competitive edge because, yes, it's about creativity, but it's also about writing better and then better and then stretching our limits and doing a little bit more. And that's one. Okay, so Kristen Harmel, how do you do it? How do you stay in the arena what keeps you going when half the time we get knocked down and bloodied and have to stand back up? What keeps you going?
3: Uh, honestly, um, right now, the four of you, I, seriously. I, I mean, it, this has been, um, I, I would say that right around the time we were starting mm-hmm. Friends in Fiction, it was the the worst my writing life has been in a long time, just because I, um, you know, I was really struggling. I, we were, it was sort of the beginning of this pandemic. My, everything had changed you know um i went from having a 20 hour work week to having a zero hour work week cuz i had my my uh, child home with me um and uh it, it was it was you guys it, you the the four of you taught me there was a way forward um you made me want to show up you made me feel inspired and then um you know this community that that we're a part of this friends in fiction community knowing that all these readers were out there and they were so kind and encouraging i'm just um this book i'm working on now and and i bet you that the four of you have the same the same opinion about it um it it feel it feels different to me because i'm i'm interacting with readers in a way that i haven't before um and and i feel supported by readers every single day in a way that i haven't before Mm -hmm. and that's making me feel inspired as a writer, but also really inspired to deliver the absolute best book I can deliver because I, I want to, I want to give like these people who are showing up for me, like I want to show up for them. Um, but, but, but bottom line, the, the four of you, you, you've, I mean, thank you. You've changed my writing life and I, um, I can't imagine it without you now. Oh,
1: <laughs> so now we need some Kleenex, but I think all, I think all five of us would say the exact, same thing. For sure. Um, I think yeah. that the the um I said it in an Instagram post. When you know somebody's going to ask, did you do it today? You want to be able to tell the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to st- so okay, Christy Woodson Harvey, how do you do it? How do you stay inspired? Yeah.
4: I mean and there's no way, I mean truly I there's no way that I would be in the position that I am right now having my twenty twenty two book almost ready for action if it weren't for y'all. I mean, there's no way. And I do agree. I mean, I think Friends and Fiction for sure, but just the reader community at large. And like yesterday I announced that Under the Southern Sky is coming out April 20th, 2021. And when you see those, like when people come on and they're like, I can't wait, I'm so excited. It does, it drives you in a way that you can't experience on your own because you do absolutely, you don't only want to be better for yourself but you want to be better for every person out there who took $17 that they could have spent on something else and spent yep. it on your book. Like yep. it, it drives you in a way that you want to give them the best experience that you can. Um, and I think writers are different than what I thought. Like, and I look at all of you and I think it's something that we have in common and we've sort of touched on it, but I do think that we all have. I don't know if even a competitive streak is the right term, but we're all very driven to succeed. So even if that competition is just with ourselves, we're all very driven toward that next thing. And I think I pictured writers as being like, la, 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 la. And I'm sure a lot of them are, but I don't think we are like that. You know, I think we're all like More words, next page, new book, better title, better cover, more people, more readers. You know, we're all just like, we're in it. And I think it does drive you when you, when, when you know that people enjoy what you do, it makes you want to be better and it makes you want to keep doing it.
1: And Christy, it's what we keep talking about. It's not just that, it's that, um, and Kathy, Mary Kay Andrews says it best. All float, all boats rise if we're doing it together, right? Yep. I start poking holes in the boat or something. So the all our boat rises together when we're,
0: okay, Mary Alice Monroe, how do you- well, The, see, the do you problem think? with coming last is I could just say, yeah, what they said. Okay, you're <laughs> first on the next question. You're first. So- <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's all true, and I think, I think what's interesting, and I, maybe the readers can or the viewers today can identify with, is that all of us have yeah. had to deal with the pandemic and yeah. being alone, and being, you know, wary of going out, not seeing each other in person, not seeing you out there, and I, I do feel that. Um, Inspiration has been easy to find in some ways, like we we had a show on one of our earlier shows about how each one of us are, some of us are doing poetry in the morning, reading more books, different ways to individually. And then, of course, our friends in fiction. And I just feel that it's really important to carry that on after pandemic to just to remember to find ways to be inspired every day and to not slip into maybe patterns that we were able to eliminate as our schedules changed that what are the best new things we're doing and can we sustain them so perhaps that's the inspiration for the future and I think well, when we're talking to, to you
1: know whoever's listening out there um it's so weird not to to be able to see you while you see us, (laughs) but to to translate it, I think it's a little bit about y'all finding the people who support you, right? Because that's one of the ways that we Mm. stay inspired is by having people who support us. And instead of enmeshing yourself with people who are trying to drag you down, why don't you get tangled up with people who lift you up, i.e. these women?
0: Mm.
1: Okay, so another idea that seems so glamorous in theory <laughs> is book tour, right? Every time an author is on a TV. Did y'all see The Affair? Did y'all watch that show? on Yeah, yeah oh, just that, a couple, not the whole thing. Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with Ruth Wilson, but anyway, you know, <laughs> he's an author, and he has a book come out, and he has an entourage who goes on book tour with him, and all these shows about authors, they have an entourage, and I know that at least once. <laughs> the entourage was my children. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So what I'll go for double dare you because I'll go first. When I first had a book out, it's called Losing the Moon. It's 2004. And I was asked to speak at a luncheon. I mean, this is a long time ago. And I was in the ladies room and I was in the stall. And heard two women talking about me outside. The store. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So now I'm like what they <laughs> Oh, they were like, "She's." Too, I mean, this is a long time ago. She's too young. How? Who does she think she is? Why is she at our talk today? Why is she lecturing us? Who does she think? Oh my gosh. Imagine. And know it was oh, so, good, but it's like something out of a sex in this city. I no. love
4: that you came out and waved because in the TV show, they're always like hiding in the stall. And yeah. I'm like, who are you? I would be like, oh, glad i <laughs> <I'm>
1: washed <walking laughs> my hands and I smiled and I walked out. I didn't say a word. And like for about a month, I kept thinking of what I could have said in that. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. Uh, that's the thing about writing books is we get to think about it for a week and then have the sure. exact right comeback. So I want to hear about some of your book tour, most embarrassing book tour stories. And we're going to go backwards. Mary
0: Alice. (laughs) Well, I had a hard time. There have been so many. (laughs) (laughs) We have to to pick one. And I'm going to try and tell the story without like getting myself sued because I won't (laughs) name the author's name. But it was early on and it was I when I had a book. know this one. You do. Yeah. So I can't say that everyone knows the author too. So um it was when the Beach House came out. And you have to understand this it was my first New York Times hit. And I was driving from store to store with my entourage, my sister Ruthie, <laughs> who, who was driving me for free <laughs> from store to store to store. And I got to one of, after I made the Times, suddenly things opened up and they put a dump, which is that rack of books, in the front of the store. And you know, the managers would actually show up and have flowers out for me. So it was a big deal. So I was in—I won't even say the name of the town, a coastal town in Florida—and it was the hometown of, unbeknownst to me, of this particular author who had a book coming out in the future of a similar title. And come on, it was the exact same title. It was the exact same
2: title. I it. I know who
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I remember because there were sea turtles and I had, a, I was supposed to speak. It wasn't just a signing. I was supposed to speak to the volunteers and I invited my brother-in-law and his mother who we called her my aunt. So I show up and you know, you're in trouble when you get to the parking lot and it's dark. <laughs> oh. There are no cars anywhere. So you walk in and you get to the front window, no sign, nothing. And I walk in, and maybe one or two people in the store, and two other people, my aunt and my brother-in-law, who came to see the famous author. And I could see this in their eyes, <laughs> like, poor Mary Alice, what a loser. And I I walk in, and I'm totally confused. This was my big deal that I was so excited about. And I, the assistant manager, I flagged, and I said, hi, I'm Mary Alice Monroe. And where are my books? I'm supposed to do a presentation tonight to a group of turtle volunteers. Oh, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll make this work. And he pulled a table out and he grabbed a couple of dusty books from the boxes and put them on. The, and I'm sitting there and I'm a good soldier. And I'm, I'm signing the six books that he had. And I finally said after a while, you know, my aunt, I, you know, I signed one for her and one for my brother-in-law. And I said to the assistant manager, I said, you know, I was supposed to speak tonight. What happened? And he kind of did. A particular author came into the store and had seen the book, the dump and the signs for this presentation. Had a hissy fit. And he said, you know, take it all down. This is my home store. Get rid of it. And the manager did, which was, you know, I can't think of many store managers I know today who would have done it. So anyway, I I, I signed the six and after like a half hour, I said, well, I guess I could go home. We're done. <laughs> so, yeah. So Ruthie drove me to the, um, I think it was a Marriott. And I just got, a, I went to the bar and they were closing down and I said, I need a drink. <laughs> And I had seen Sex in the City, which was really popular. I said, "I want a cosmopolitan." <laughs> and he said, "And I told him my story." He gave me like a sixteen-ouncer <laughs> in a styrofoam cup <laughs> with a straw. And I went out and I, <laughs> I'm drinking my my drink. And I went out to the pool. And I got halfway across the pool, and I started going under. Oh. I knew I was that cosmos started hitting because it was on an empty stomach. Oh, so no. I came back, and Ruthie really pulled me in, and I think I, I um, emptied the contents of my stomach for most of the night. Oh, God. I thought I was going to die. And all I know is I never believed that was my big night, my first big night, and it was just the most horrible that someone would do that to anyone else that would just take their <laughs> moment away. So I, uh, that's one for the book story. Yeah. Yeah. How
4: about you, Christy? Um, mine is similar. So when my first book had come out, you know, I was very careful. Like I knew, obviously I'd never written a book. No one had ever heard of me. I mean, I wasn't going to have big events. So I only booked events in places where I had friends that would like rally their friends or family or, people I could stay with. Cause I mean, I think I had like, I mean, it was the tiniest book tour budget ever. And, um, which I was thrilled to have any book tour budget. So I'm not complaining, but, um, but I thought, you know, but, but a, a store about an hour from where I live asked me to do an event and I was like, sure, absolutely. And it was a Barnes and Noble and, um, I pictured I had done some other Barnes and Noble events and they would sort of set a table up in the front of the store and I would, you know, say hello to people and they walked in and I'd usually sell a few books and sign some stock. And that was great. Like, it was a great day for me at that time. So I'm going to this town and I don't know anyone there. So I don't have anyone to invite. I have no friends, but I'm just assuming I'm going to go sit at the table. So I get to the store and um, I go up to the counter and I say, I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm here for book signing. And they're like, oh, good. You're going to be speaking back here. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) And so it's one (laughs) of those Barnes and Nobles that has one of those huge event areas. And I go back there. There's one woman sitting in a chair and there are like 60 chairs set up. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know anyone. No one's going to read this. And they start wheeling these boxes of books out. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, my God! This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but it was fine. I got through it. And you know, we all have to do
0: it. But there are moments of glory in there, too, so they balance, right? Yeah, but there's all we all have that story. Well, we went into one person and what I always do is go sit down and just skip the, just talk to the person. And sometimes you meet the most interesting
4: people. Yeah. I would have done that knowing what I know now, but you know, at the time, I think there ended up being like three people there. And if that happened to me today, I would go sit with those three people and we chit chat and it would be fine. But then I didn't know what to do. So I felt like I had to stand up there and like speak behind the podium.
0: The oh no, <laughs> one. No. it, was
3: bad. it uh, was bad.
0: Okay,
1: Kristen Harmel, you have at least one. I know you do.
3: So for one of my early books, um, back in the mid 2000s, um, I was all, you know, like I am now wheeling and dealing and trying to, you know, figure out how to do this. And um, and I had gotten a liquor sponsor for my book tour, meaning that they would, um, you know, they were going to provide the liquor and we were going to do like a specialty drink. And um, they came to me, the liquor sponsor, and said, you know what? We love this we want to throw you a party at the w hotel in new york i think it was the one in union square i can't remember anymore um but so i was so excited i brought this to my publisher we had this whole thing i flew up there with my friends and my sister and my aunt and like just a bunch of people um you know i was gonna have this big launch party at the w um we were walking in and i get a call on my cell phone um and it's the liquor sponsor um saying, unfortunately, they're withdrawing their support. Um, it was it was maybe an hour and a half before the party. <laughs> what? They, they were How no longer we going to pick up the bar bill. So they had already paid, like, whatever, like, room reservation fee to, like, you know, book this event space at the W. Um, but so this was one of my early books. I, I did not, my, my early books there's, I mean, I could not have supported myself writing the books. My, my book contracts, my advances were, were 15,000, like one five fifteen thousand, 15,000. And that plus my magazine job, like that was, I, I didn't have any money. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, I could I just be like, oh yes, well, well I'll just get the, the bar bill for everybody. Yeah. No. So after saying to the publisher, like, look, I'm having a party at the W and they were like, yay. I had to go to the publisher and be like, Would you mind picking up the bar bill for the (laughs) the party? Oh no! I think think she wins. I think she wins. You do. (laughs) You win. It was so horrible. We only, the only, the only choice of beverage was the cheapest thing on their event menu, which was like some cheap white wine. (laughs) 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 You could have white wine or you could have water, and I spent the entire party like just trying not to cry. So like.
4: okay do you all out there see what we go through like That's, you win do You think win. we we really care if you come. right right really so if care. you're leaving us that one star review to put us back in our place we're already we've already here. been put we out. already <laughs> are there place yeah <laughs> we, have been, time. we have been humiliated
0: over and over again i can't tell you we're how many here. times i sat in a group like back in Borders, when you had you talked in the food section mm-hmm. and you'd yeah. be up there with your mic and you'd be like, Hi, everybody. And people are like, Maybe like, yeah. a yeah. and you just want to start. Yeah, feeling <laughs> nothing more than
2: feeling.
1: <laughs> okay, Mary Kay Andrews.
2: <laughs> oh, God, so many. An early book <laughs> tour. Um, I, I was doing something with my son before I went on the road and I got to. I think I was in Washington, D.C., and I had pink eye. Oh, no. and so my Yeah, my eye was like oozing and red and swollen. Oh. And I had to wear dark glasses. No one would get near me. Then there was a time I was at a Christmas um, festival in this little small town, and uh, I was the luncheon speaker. And during lunch, I started, my stomach started rumbling. And I, i started feeling really hot. I got a stomach bug. The, um, thank God. I, I don't know how I got through it. I did, but the, I had to say to my, they had somebody, the festival organizers had, had somebody, um, you know, assigned to help me to, you know, get me back. And I just said, yeah, we were supposed to do have some others. I said, <laughs> get me to my hotel. Yeah, She's going to end up going out and getting me medicine um i did a uh a signing at a chain bookstore in a dead mall um it was there last night they were open and i mean the whole mall (laughs) so you can imagine that was (laughs) oh i I, yeah i back when walden
0: books was still around in the mall and they used to always put your table right smack in in the hall almost in the hallway If you, remember people to, oh, you youngins might not remember this but yeah um, they were turn- they put-
2: literally literally as i was leaving the store 30 minutes after the start of the signing they were literally turning out the marquee lights <laughs> <outside>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> outside. and then there was a signing at another chain store in savannah mind mm-hmm. you where i had set you know four books and i was at a, a chain and I got there and they said, here's the, the, the community relations person, CRC asked for them. And I, they said, no, she's, she left, she's gone. And so the assistant manager said, okay, well you're back there at a table, no sign, no, nothing. But I had, you know, people in Savannah who are fans who came to the store and I signed the books, but I, literally I was, you know, doing it all myself. There was no one helping me. And, um, about 15 minutes before I was, the signing was to be over, the assistant manager came back and, um, you know, I had my new hardback, but they also had my, and uh, they also had my, um, my mass market paperback um, back, my backlist. And while I was sitting there, she started ripping the covers off. For those of you, um, mass market paperback, smaller size paperback books. And so um, publishers instead. of you having stores send them back to them. They rip the covers off. The books go in a dumpster and the bookstore sends back the covers to get a to get a credit for it. So she was basically ripping my books in front of me saying, we're not going to sell any of these. I don't know. She might win on that one.
0: <laughs> That's- uh, the, ba- the bar bill. No, no. The bar
2: bill. <laughs> is party the party
4: in New York. I- I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight thinking about that. The bar <laughs> bill is
1: horrifying. Deal. Okay, we gotta, we've gotta. Okay, we've gotta cleanse the palette with some good things. So really <laughs> yeah. good. Kristen, will you remind us really quick of the bookstore of the week? Because sure, we, yeah,
3: absolutely. It's it's Page and Palette in Fairhope, Alabama. It's a favorite of readers and authors alike. They are offering you ten percent off our new releases through the page link that Patty has posted on the Friends in Fiction Facebook group page under announcements. So easy to go there, easy to click, and we all have new releases
1: that hopefully would interest you. So we have been talking so much, which I was kind of afraid was going to happen. So we're going to do this quick lightning round. Y'all have sent in the most marvelous questions, hundreds of them actually. And we promise to try and get to some of them, but also we'll get them in other episodes. So. Each of us have chosen a question for the other. We didn't get to pick our own question. We picked, and we're gonna try and do this in a quick lightning round. round. Yes. yes, so, okay, Mary Kay, you're first. Mm-hmm. Ask
2: Christian. Chris, Christian. ask Kristen. Okay, the, okay, yeah, so this question. is a question for Kristen. Um, Mary Ellen Hawk, Hawker Hartwick wants to know, how do you organize your story notes? I'm, she says, I'm a wannabe author and have been struggling with organizing my thoughts for chapters or for short stories or novellas. So as a historic fiction author, I think this is a key one for you, Chris. That's a great question.
3: Uh, Okay, so great question. Um, I I would say there are two very short answers to that. One, as far as story notes, it all goes into an outline for me. So so if I have an idea, I know exactly where it's going to belong. I plug it right into the outline and my outlines are not bulleted, they're in paragraph form. So if I want to re- remember something, I might put it in parentheses or I might even put it in parentheses at the top of the chapter heading, but it all just goes right into that outline. If you're talking about how to organize research to keep track of all the research, um, I have a Word document that I just, I, instead of writing out like whatever I found in the research, I'll say um, the Nalabaki Forest book, page 164, and then I'll put a post-it note in that book. So I'll say exactly what the note's about, where to find it, and then the post-it note. And then that way, instead of having secondhand or thirdhand information, I'm, I'm as I'm writing, going back to the source, which I think is really helpful. So great, great
1: question. I ho- I hope I answered it. Kristen, I, I actually I'm actually gonna steal that. Okay, Kristen, go ahead. You're next.
3: Okay, I've got one from Cindy Kovac for Christy. And this is um, have any of you had book ideas that you are glad you didn't write? If so, what was it and why? So that's for Christy. A good one. Um,
4: This is a really good question. And when I first started writing, um, I had a writing professor at Chapel Hill that I really loved who, Patty is good friends with too. His name's Daniel Wallace and his most famous book was Big Fish. So probably a lot of y'all have read that. Um, But he said to me, the worst thing that can happen to you as a writer is that you get published too soon. And I think that was such good advice because I had um, several manuscripts that I never sent out or, you know, really did anything with. Um... And, and I'm glad of that, you know, at the time you're so invested in that manuscript and you think it's going to be the one, but I definitely have that syndrome of thinking the next thing I'm working on is so much better than the one before. And I think that was such a good piece of advice. And, um, I'm really glad that's not exactly the question she asked, but there's nothing that I've wanted to write that I haven't written necessarily, but I'm glad that the things I haven't put out didn't get put out. (laughs) That's a good feeling. That's all. Okay,
1: Christy, you go.
4: Um, Okay, Patty, Linda Stanko wants to know, what's the longest you have gone without an idea for a new book? And how did you break writer's block? How do you break writer's block?
1: Um, So I've never been without an idea. I think that what happens is I get stuck wondering if the idea is worth the next couple years of my life. So it's not necessarily, I don't have an idea. Oh my God. It's does the idea I have, is it worthy of my, of the next, especially with historical fiction, it's, it's not just the story idea. It's how long, you know, the research and the reading and the, the, the diving down for years, this last book took me three years. It was so complex. So I think that, um, it's more for me, um, not how long it takes for an idea, but how long it takes me to decide what's next. And I think the longest that's been has been probably four or five months um, of starting something, putting it away, starting something, putting it away. And as far as writer's block, um, it's for me, it's not writer's block. It's not knowing where the story is going next. That for me is a block. And usually, when that happens, it means you have to go back a few steps. Back to so,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. So, okay. Ready, Mary Alice? Here's my question for you. From Kate Agin. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Um, she says, I'm reading Mary Alice's Monroe's The Summer Guests. Kara and David are boarding up Primrose Cottage. Have any of you ever had to stop in the middle of your writing and oh. evacuate? And every, every year, every <laughs> year. Which brings me real quick to say, all of us, all five of us, are really thinking about and praying for all of you in the hurricane path uh, in, yes. in Louisiana. We have been texting each other and thinking about you and um, really worried about it. So Mary Alice, I know I know the answer to this, but tell everybody else, have have you had to stop in the middle of your writing and evacuate?
0: Really, every year. It's I, The first one was Floyd, but I didn't even own a house yet. And we had to, I was caught in the, the largest evacuation in American history. I was on the road. And I, that's why I actually do have PTSD about it i mean it's truly the minute like right now just you having talked about what's going on in the gulf makes my heart go pitter patter and it's uh it's it's lovely to live on on an island but every year you're reminded there's a price to pay and with climate change these storms are just getting increased intensity so my house is uh 50 percent boarded up from the last one that didn't even hit us, but we're half boarded up. So it's kind of dark in my office because the shutters are down. We're not going, we're done. And, and the minute it gets even close, I board up the house, stop what I'm doing because my mind is already on freeze. Yeah. That's the trouble. You just can't keep your eyes off the television with all the news repeating itself. So that's why I moved to, I got a house in North Carolina. Because uh, after, after Summer Guests, that's an autobiographical story in that those, that was me in the barn with all those horses. And it, I learned about the horses and then was inspired to write that book. But the whole reality, I've written about hurricanes five times. But the whole reality of hurricanes coming, this big monster is mythological in literary fiction, in, the, in literature. So, for me to write about it is is not only autobiographical, but a theme that I write about a lot. And I and again echoing what everyone says, please pause to pray for the people in the Gulf. This is a big one, and I hope that we're able to help them. All right, Kathy. Okay, what's your question for Kathy? Yes. Sheila Lane says, and I love this, do you design or get involved with your book covers? And the reason I really like this question for you is I always think you have some of the most beautiful, identifiable covers. I always look for that cute little something you have, either the pelican or the seagull or something really cute. And I know
2: you you are involved. So can, do you want to answer that? Yeah, um, you know, um, our theory, I write summer beach books. And so we want uh, a cover that looks inviting. We want it to look like the candy that you'd grab at the checkout counter. So it needs to be, it needs to convey, my editor says it needs to convey a sense of celebration, um, a sense that you want it and you want to pick it up. So um, next year we are revamping the look and I'm really excited about that. I think part of uh, when you write, commercial fiction is you always you you want your readers to be able to identify your book just by glancing at it. They don't even need to see what the title is. They need to say I want to be in that world. So that's what we're doing and and um look for a whole new look for us next year.
0: Yeah. Which yeah. is going to be a big surprise.
2: Yeah. I'm dying for your
0: cover reveal.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that there's um We started, we we revealed my cover and all of us are going to be revealing our covers here. So it's going to be really exciting. Okay. I'm going to talk really fast because we have like four minutes. Every week we have a writing tip and tonight it is from Kristen Harmel. Kristen, give us a writing tip. You know what I was thinking with with us almost running out of time. here's what I'm gonna do.
3: Um, it, we had a great question from Lynn Carol Hughes, who asks, "What's your advice on seeking an agent? I have a lot of advice to give, so I'm gonna write a post. I'm gonna put it on our Facebook page tomorrow morning, okay? So look for it tomorrow morning. It'll be up before eight a m. Um, and I'll also include the link to the bookseller in there too, so you have two ways to get to the bookseller, okay. So um also, I wanted to remind you Sunday, our um our guest for our bonus episode that we're going to be doing, right? We've talked about this already. It's yes. is, nope. is, is, um, an author okay. is about to announce that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to say,
1: okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. Real quick. I know that we try to shout out about a debut or something we're loving. Mary Alice, tell us real
0: quick what you were thinking this week. Okay. This is just a really quick, it's The Forgotten Kingdom by Sidney Pike. And I love the book. It's 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 fifth century. And this is the first one was The Lost Queen. This is the second one in the trilogy. And you're going to love it. She's our guest, September 16th, I believe. And Patty, you're the host. She's wonderful. She's scholarly. She's so much fun. But this book is serious matter. You will, it's, what did they describe it? They say it's, um, oh, Camelot meets Outlander. That's it. It's and it's really great, and it's so beautifully done. So, The Forgotten Kingdom by Sigyn Pike. How about you, Christy?
4: Um, Lines of Fifth Avenue by Fiona Davis, which we have all loved so much, but we just wanted to give her a huge shout out because she hit the New York Times list. So, yay! Congrats, Fiona. Fiona. We we, we celebrate this book go buy it
1: and keep her on the list. Yep, absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Now, so for some really exciting announcements. I mean, just when you think friends and fiction can't get better, it does. And it is because (laughs) you, you out there watching and listening and tuning in on our membership yesterday on our membership page, we asked people, how did you hear about us? And yesterday I saw one of my favorites. It said from a stranger at a coffee house. (laughs) So can we just say, we love you, that you are out there talking about us? Um, We are so excited to announce our fall schedule. Mary Alice, just after Mary Alice is done rattling through it, don't try and write it down. I'm going to post it on the page as soon as the show is over. But Mary Alice, tell us all about the fall schedule.
0: All right, Gabe, hold on to your hats, folks. It's amazing. On September 2nd, Etaf Rum. September 9th, Emily Giffen, September 16th, Signe Pike, September 23rd, Is Just Us, September 27th, Christina Lauren, September 30th, Kathy Reichs, October 7th, Leanne Dolan, October 14th, Charlene Harris, just in time for the spooky time of year, October 21st, Elizabeth Berg, October 28th, again, Just Us. November 1st, Viola Shipman, November 4th, Britt Bennett, November 11th, Caroline Levitt, November 18th, J.T. Ellison and Hank Felipe Ryan, and November 25th, we're going to end it with a Thanksgiving for such a great fall with just us.
1: I'm so excited. I I mean, and all the books that those are associated with. Okay, Mary Kay, I want you to tell everyone about our Sunday brand new bonus episodes called Behind the Book. Yeah,
2: we had so much stuff to talk about. This Sunday, we're adding, we're starting our bonus episodes. And the inaugural one is with Rachel McMillan. She's a Canadian whose new book, London Restoration, is climbing the charts. She's not only a prolific writer and reader and social media guru, but she's also a literary agent. For those of you who want to get published, you want to be sure and watch that this Sunday. And we'll see your questions rolling in, and we'll be asking her some of them. This will be a fantastic episode, so tune in on Sunday at 5, Sunday at 5 on Friends and Fiction, and we'll post something on the page to remind you. And
1: Christy, tell us about who you're hosting next
4: week and we'll say goodbye to everyone. Next week, I'm so excited to be hosting um, Toph Rum. She is amazing. Her her novel is A Woman is No Man. If you have not read it, y'all, I just finished it. It is beautiful and horrifying. And I kept looking at it and thinking, this says 2008, how can this happen in 2008? Um, And then I found out that the story is semi-autobiographical. So if you have not read the story read it before next week. I mean, it will absolutely blow your mind and order it from our bookstore of the week page and palette. Um, so it's also offering a 10% discount
1: on all of our new releases. Thanks Christy. Okay. That was such a fun night, ladies. We yes. could talk for hours about this. I have Gosh. so many questions. Okay. Everybody out there, please join us on our friends and fiction page to ask us your questions and interact and join us next week. When Christy Woodson Harvey will be hosting ETAP room But before that, join us on Sunday where we'll be talking with Rachel McMillan. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for being with us tonight, And thanks for coming. And that's a wrap. That's
0: a wrap. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye!
2: Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.